Hey, your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with a special episode of the Sly Flourish channel. Tonight, I am doing a couple of things. One is I am testing my new streaming hardware to make sure it's all working out all right. Two is I thought I would test out my streaming hardware while taking a look, doing a spotlight look at Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, uh, the new D&D source book that just came out. I think this, I think it just came out this uh, past week. And I don't have a physical copy, uh, but I do have a uh, copy on D&D Beyond uh, because I did some work for D&D Beyond long ago. I am given access to all of the new books that come out, and which is very kind of them. And Strixhaven is one of them. So I thought we would take a look. I was not given a preview copy specifically of this, but I do have the opportunity to preview it from the version that's on D-Beyond. So I thought we'd take a look. I know my friend Anthony, Anthony Joyce just did a preview on Twitch. I, I was watching a little bit of his preview earlier today and that looked really good interesting stuff and i thought it would be worthy of discussion we'll probably talk about it for about an hour maybe go through it maybe less than an hour i don't know we'll see how it goes and uh see how we feel about it so I'm, i have not really looked at strixhaven very much i took a little look at the beginning and then i cut right to the end to look at monsters because i love monsters and i want to see what the monsters are like and that was kind of it and then i've read a little bit about it and i've heard a little bit about it and i've talked to some friends about it but i really have not dived into it myself so we are here together looking if you are not familiar with this book you are in good company because neither am i and this is not a review it is not an in-depth preview it's kind of maybe kind of an in-depth preview i suppose uh, and i will certainly have opinions about it but i will probably be wrong about my thoughts some of my thoughts and I will, yeah, so what we're going to, we'll see how it goes, right? I might make mistakes. I might make some terrible mistakes about how I look at something and probably look at it wrong. We will see. So I thought we would take a look. So let me get my little browser windows over here. I, I took this, I thought this was a good, a good piece of art that kind of captures, captures what's going on here. I thought that was very cool. Real nice art. One of the things that I noticed, I, I find D&D Beyond to be really useful to have an adventure or a source book and things like that. I think it's really useful to have it on hand, but I find that the physical books are prettier. And like, I'm not really fully aware of the artwork in a book until I have the physical book in my hand. And it's because they have these big, full page, beautiful pictures in them. So I am in a position where I am able to own both the physical and the digital version. And I like having both, right? I, I enjoy having both. I find the book to be a good way to sit down and read it. And just kind of enjoy it where the online version I find to be very useful when I'm actually running a game with it. So it's kind of interesting how the two play out. I'm glad I'm glad they have both. So here is the then this is why. Like you take a look at this, and this is the table of contents. You know, it looks like an HTML table, right? It does not look like a nice book. But it's very useful. You can do searching in this that you can't do otherwise. Uh, I don't, I don't know how big the book is. Does anybody in chat know how many pages? I suppose we could go look it up. Uh, but if somebody wanted to take a look and find out how many pages the physical book is, I'm curious. I would imagine it's probably 256 pages. It might be 192 pages. I'm not sure. It's almost certainly not 300 and whatever. 224 pages, says DM Chromie. Excellent. Okay. So it's always interesting to think about how much of the book is on any on any given piece of it. So I'm curious. But let's go right to the beginning here. Again, beautiful artwork. So Strixhaven, I can describe what I know, and then we will learn more. Strix, the, the book of 
Strixhaven. It's under, it's interesting because in the D&D Beyond library, it's under source books, but it's primarily an adventure. It is a level one to 10 adventure. So it's an interesting design that's different from other things that WotC has made, that Wizards of the Coast has made. Typically, Wizards of the Coast makes a book like Eberron, Rising from the Last War, or Ravnica, or Theros, or Wildmount, or things like that, that have that are source books, right? That they are source books for a location, and they might include an adventure. I think I think Wildmount, for example, includes a handful of adventures. I think Ravnica and Theros both include small adventures, but they're the adventures are sort of just to help you get started in the campaign world. World, right and also includes an adventure and then you have adventures like sword coast or like ghosts of Saltmarsh. right ghosts of Saltmarsh is a bunch of big adventures put together into a book that has a little bit of source material in the beginning but not much and then and the same tr- is true for things like uh, descent into avernus and rhyme of the frost maiden where they are primarily adventures but they have little source booky bits to them this one i think the source booky bits are bigger than you would typically find in a campaign adventure. But this still feels more like a campaign adventure than it does a source book. Although the the theme and the setting is so different from kind of anything else in the world of D, and certainly with, I guess, yeah, in the world of D. I don't know if that anything's ever been really done like this. That it probably focusing on that source, the source booky bits. Th- there's a good reason why there's a bit of a more focus on the source booky bits. Scipio says, uh, Jeff G on the Tome Show said that the Adventure Gazetteer page split is similar to Avernus, just with the Gazetteer up front. Interesting. So, yeah, the Adventure, so it's about probably the same ratio that like Descent into Avernus was with Balder, the Baldur's Gate Gazetteer kind of fitting the Gazetteer here. I think another difference though is this one's, I think, has more class stuff than Avernus did. It's got more things like there's, it has spells, right? How often does, how often do spells hit here? So the theme of the adventure is a magic, a school of magic, right? And, you know, we can make all the Harry Potter jokes that we want. We'll probably take all the Harry Potter jokes and set them aside. They might come up while we're looking at this, but generally speaking, we don't need to remark about the fact that it's like Magic the Gathering or D&D's Harry Potter it is but it's all built around a magical school and i think that there are two interesting so i'm getting into the stuff that i've already read it's got you know the different colleges right there's four different colleges lorehold prismarai quandrix silver quill and witherbloom which i guess are also they were they're sort of like the houses i suppose but they're i guess in this case they're they're colleges that the that the that the characters or that the characters that the wizards that or not wizards, but that students go to in this nice. Let's see. Chapter one is uh, overview of the study of life of Strixhaven. Chapter two guide for creating a student chapter th- three through six is an adventure for first to 10th level. That's a meaty adventure, right? First to 10th level is a pretty, pretty big adventure. Chapter seven is a collection of stat blocks for students, faculty, various creatures. That was what I was most interested in. I jumped right to chapter seven when I first got this. I was like, I want to see some monsters. And I looked at some monsters and I have some thoughts, which I will share. I will, I will, I will talk about as we get and dragon, small dragon claw attacks, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. Orientation. Here's a nice section that talks about, you know, I love this. I, I think this is a really good design idea. Like just get us to what this place is, right? orientation what is it what what are three important facts right three important facts to keep in mind as you explore these pages really handy like writing books for busy people right like we want to love these books and read it but don't pretend we're going to read the whole thing all at once right get us the meat of this thing right and so Strixhaven is a university yes we know that and that you know, it's an academy of mages, which I think is good. And what they when they re- refer to mages, right? It can really be any class. 
but you got to have some little touch of magic. And I think if you were going to bring people into, I think if you were going to bring people into this adventure, if you're going to run this for your group, I think it would be worth having a session zero that talks about why your character joined a magical university. I don't know if they're going to get into that here. They might, they might already have something like that, but I think that it would be a good idea to just say like, look, if you've ever wanted to play a character with a, a spellcaster, now's your time to play a spellcaster so that you don't show up with your champion fighter and you're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, why am I in this place? Now, granted, I'm sure there's a way that you can incorporate a champion fighter, but why not just play to the theme of the adventure? right academy of mages characters of any class can study whether they're full-fledged spellcasters or they uh picked up a spell from a feat or something else there's even like i think there's backgrounds that give you magic yeah and i like this it's cosmopolitan uh, this is something i was talking to my wife about this before just before we we're taking a walk the idea is that it draws students from not only the world but the multiverse I think it's really cool to build a setting. One of the things that we've got in D&D these days is like there's so many character races, right? There's so many origins that, that characters can be. And sometimes those origins just don't fit the theme of a, of a campaign, right? That like if you think about if you think about Rime of the Frostmaiden, right? And it's kind of in the north of Icewind Dale. It's traditional fantasy. It's mostly humans with a, a handful of halflings. And then you're like, oh, well, I'm a Genasi and I'm an Asimar and I'm a Yuanti and I'm a, you know, whatever, you know? Then you're like, you know, how would the, how would the people of Icewind Dale not be freaking out at this weird menagerie of different kind of character options, right? So in that case, you might say like, if you're going to be a, if you're going to be a weird race, you know, there better be a good reason for it. And you don't want your whole group to be weird races in a game like Frostmaiden. You can probably do some yoga and get around it, but that's weird. But then you look at this one and it's, they built the setting around the idea that everybody comes here, right? People from around the multiverse. My wife was saying like, you're, you know, if you're the human, you're the weird one, right? And like, I could see that. And you could, this would be one where instead of like limiting the races, you'd be like, you can be any weird ass race you want, right? Any weird ass race you want, because they can all come here. Probably the only limitation is you want to be a spellcasting you want to be a class that has at least some spell casting in it. You can be an Eldritch Knight. You can be a, what's it called? Arcane Trickster, right? You can be that stuff. But it's probably, but what race-wise, you could be anything. And of course, it includes like the Owlin is in here. It even says like trolls and vampires. What's up with vampire students, right? I don't get that. Maybe there's more about that. But like the Loxodon, right? The elephant people from, from Ravnica are, I think, are native to this place, right? So in their case, Loxodon makes a lot of sense. So I think it's cool to have a design that lets you play as many weird-ass races as you want to play. I think that's really cool. That's actually something I tried to do in Ruins of the Grendel Root, right? In Ruins of the Grendel Root, I have, a, I have an outpost, right, called Deep Delver's Enclave. And one of the things about Deep Delver's Enclave that I wanted is, like, it's this kind of small outpost, but everybody goes there, right? And it's you, if you're a strange race, it doesn't matter because there's lots of strange races, and they judge everybody based on their actions in the enclave, not on what they look like or where they came from or anything like that. And I, I, I like that idea. I think if you're building a setting like that and you're going to open it up to races that are beyond like you know the core four, or core whatever, core eight races from the player's handbook. You know, you want a reason why these other ones can be there so that it's like you don't have to spend half your game explaining why the people of the place aren't freaking out when a Loxodon shows up. So I think that's really cool. And I'm glad and it's one of their big three things. They talk about the world of Strixhaven. 
right? They mentioned that's a Magic the Gathering world and that it's actually part of this world called Ar Ar Arcavios. That's kind of interesting. And that Arcavios is actually two worlds mashed together, which is kind of interesting. There are you know, some regions around it. I don't know how much those regions come into play. You know, kind of curious. And then it's got these things like snarls and star arches, right? Which are a bit of magical, bits of magical wonder, right? And then it's got the founder dragons, right? Five dragons who were the founders of the different colleges. And that's cool, but I've got some stat block concerns, right? I, I will save the stat block concerns, but I've got issues. We all know about my issues, but that's cool. They got, so the colleges were founded by dragons, right? And it says, where's the thing? I'll tell you one of the things I get into is, right? Founder dragons were among the first to master magic. Now, maybe somewhere in this book, and I didn't see it, it talks about the spells that these dragons can cast. But when I went and looked at them, we're going to go look at my friend Belladross Witherbloom here. When I looked at the dragon, I see one, two, three, four, five spells. Greater Restoration, Mass Cure Wounds, Plant Growth, Revivify, and Speak with Dead. I, those are the only spells I see this dragon having. Where are those spells? And like, I just give me a line of text that says like, hey, these are, you know, the spells that are listed in the stat block are just kind of there to give you some ideas. But generally, these dragons can cast all kinds of weird ass spells that you want. I hope it says that somewhere in here because that makes more sense. This is that whole clash of like, we don't want the stat block to be too complicated but then the stat block doesn't actually fit the story of the monster, right? Which is a monster in this case being Belladross Witherbloom, right? Which is why if they are the most powerful dragons that created these colleges and they're so powerful magic, they don't hang around there. Where are their spells, man? How come there aren't more spells here? So I don't know, right? And maybe it says that. Somebody can tell me. Please tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that somewhere, right, that, that there's a good reason why the spells listed in their stat block are so small, and yet they are the masters of magic, right? But that's cool, right? I mean, having dragons that mastered. I love this artwork down here. The ar ar archaics of the Oracle of Strixhaven. Why is this the most accomplished mage? Let's take a look at the... I love stat blocks, right? Oracle. Oh, look, they're nice. They're nice people. 150, challenge rating 15, right? Also, look, the Oracle... <laughs> Look at the spells they've got. Where are all their spells? I get it, right? I understand. If you're the oracle, you're the most powerful mage of a mage school, and you've got dis dis dispel magic, mage armor, remove curse, sending. Where's shield? I guess the spellcasting. I don't see. It can teleport, paradox. I mean, they got some special they've got some special stuff like Oracle makes two magic flare attacks. You can use paradoxy if available. She can also use paradox. So she can cast plus 10, 24 points. That's pretty good. It's hard. Like that legendary creature momentarily warps altar. Each creature is 18 cents fails. So 33 force damage pulled, right? Just cast silvery barbs for days. Yeah. Funny that silvery barbs isn't one of their, I guess like when I see these sort of spell, when I see these stat blocks of major spellcasters, right? These are the dragons that formed it. And these are the, this is the Oracle of the university. And I see like six spells, you know, I, I don't need much, but just give me a little thing that says that a lot of the spellcasters that are listed here have, I don't know, some spells listed that we think are relevant for their spellcasting block, but they could have a much wider range of spells available to them as members of the Academy. Just, I hope, maybe it says that, and I haven't gotten there yet. Why is this the most accomplished mage? Blah, blah, blah. Mysteriously linked are the Archaics. Wise, giant, love, long-lived beings with innate talent for magic. All right, let's take a look at those. 
Oh, these are cool. Look at that picture, right? That picture is badass. Like, look at that. Here's tiny little trees, and here's this huge thing, right? Really cool looking. Really cool looking stuff. CR 18 can cast Force Cage and Banishment. Two, two really nice spells that people love. Two Force Strike attacks can also use Gravity Shift. 14, 19 Force Damage at CR 18. Mm, I guess that's okay. It's a little low. You think it'd be bigger than that, right? Considering it's Gargantuan Celestial, but I guess it's Force Damage. Pretty cool. I just love stat blocks, right? Like one of the reasons I buy these books is because I want monster stat blocks. I want to see, and one of the things that I'm excited about in this book is it gives us a view of the kind, the next book we're going to see is Monsters of the Multiverse, in which they are redoing the monsters from Volo's Guide to Morning Canaan's and others into a big monster book. So the monster design in this one is something I'm really curious about because to me, this is the canary in the cage for what Monsters of the Multiverse is going to be like. And it gives me some ideas about what I should expect when I'm reading Monsters of the Multiverse, which is probably not more powerful high CR monster. The Jadzi is the name of the Oracle. I love, look at this cool art, right? This is some beautiful art, this kind of abstract view of what the schools look like. You know, Strixhaven University with the Biblioplex surrounded by Silverquill, Quandrix, Witherbloom, Prismari, and Lorehold. I love that art is fantastic, right? You can imagine a big poster of that. Really great stuff. So that's cool. So that's sort of the intro. Life at Strixhaven. Again, more great art. Magical study principles. Faculty. So one of the things that I dig about this whole this whole book. There's two things that I think are, are, are pretty cool. One is like, it's really nice to see wizards getting away from the grim, dark adventures that were Descent into Avernus and Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, right? I think we've now seen with Witchlight, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and now with this one, we're seeing optimistic adventures. And particularly, we are seeing adventures that are building worlds that we would want to be in, right? And I don't think that can be understated. I think that is an important consideration that even if you have adventures where you're fighting powerful monsters and you're fighting darkness that's there, it's important to want to be there, right? I think that having a draw and, and building a place and giving DMs the tools to build worlds with their players that are places that you guys want to go to is important, right? One of the things when I, I'm not to pick on my own stuff, but, or not pick on it, but like, you know, promote my own stuff, but Ruins of the Grendel Root, right? A big adventure that I did. And I was like, I'm doing a big underground adventure with lots of like mysterious places. And I was like, I don't want this to be this kind of dark, dismal place where nobody, you know, why are you down here? Like, I want it like, I say it in it. Like Grendel Root is a place, you know, the Deep Delver's Enclave is a place you want to go to. It's a place you and your players would want to be. It's got good food and cheery people and, and high adventure and cool things to see. And it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful and wondrous and awe-inspiring. And, you know, making places that you want to go to, I think are important. And like, I don't want to go to Avernus. I don't want to go to Baldur's Gate, right? I don't want to freeze to death in Icewind Dale. Like in, in Icewind Dale, there are some nice places that you want to go to. And you can do something like make the North look in, in Bryn Shander, and that, make that the place you want to be, right? Like make it comfortable with hot cocoa and big fires and people come there to hang out and good cheer and laughter and bards that are singing tales to try to keep people to forget about the fact that you're all freezing to death. Like that would be nice, right? 
But now we got two adventures that are both like places I would want to go, right? Like Wild Beyond the Witchlight is about carnivals and crazy fey carnivals and then going to the Feywild. And it's really wild stuff and it's neat and it's fun and it's whimsical. And I would want to be there. And this place feels like it too. Like who wouldn't want to go to Magic University? I want to go to Magic University, right? Who wouldn't want to go to Magic University? So having these two books of like big, beautiful, optimistic places with big, beautiful art that are places you want to go. I think that's really important. And I think that's an important thing for world builders. I think if you're building a world, sure, there's room for your Morkberg and your Shadow of the Demon Lord and stuff like that. There's room for those kinds of campaigns. But there's also room for campaigns about with places you want to go to, right? I think that that's something to consider. Magical study, faculty, instructors and professors. I'm kind of going to, you know, I'm not going to read through this whole thing. We're just going to kind of skim through it. Students choosing a college. Students choose one of the five colleges before starting their second year. So I guess year one, freshman year or whatever, you're kind of learning things. They wear uniforms. Upon choosing colleges, students do two professors to serve as counselors. I wonder why two. That's interesting. I guess if one gets killed, right? One gets murdered. Then you have another one to be like, you need to find out whether why they got murdered. A student's course of study is strictly even four years, but it allows for advanced study for several years beyond that time frame. Most students eventually graduate. I wonder how you get administration. I wonder how you get to go here right? Like, it's not like every mage in the multiverse gets to go here. What limits you, right? Do you have to be rich? How does that work? Is it all scholarship? Who gets rejected? What are the rejects like? They're probably pissed off. Mascots. Okay, that's kind of cool. Everybody's got a mascot. Campus overview. This chapter looks like a great big one, all right? Great big meaty chapter. Campus overview. Uh, Look at that. There's the artwork. I stuck that artwork in the lower window because I thought it looked cool. Central Campus, the Bibliopics, right? Like, look at this great place, right? Like, I want to go there. Who doesn't want to go there? The Biblioplex is the library, massive library, right? Manors, the Aerojaunt Field, Bow's End Tavern, Strixhaven Stadium, the Archway Commons. Like, this is, I want to go there, right? Who doesn't want to go to this place? That's pretty cool. Lorehold College. Studies of Lorehold College, the facility of Broadly... History broadly understood to include various aspects of culture, behavior, and social relationships that shape historical events. That's kind of cool. Look at that place. The heart of Laura is a chasm littered with ancient ruins. Man, that's the other thing you can have, right? Having like a place you want to go to that also has like a chasm filled with ancient ruins. You know, what is this? Group tabs together. Remind me later. I don't want to do that. Right? Like, look at that. Look at that place. Like, that's awesome looking, you know? Old ruins down below. Right? That like that's a good place for adventure right there. I dig that, right? I dig that like you you see other thing, if you're building a world, right? Making it a place you want to go to and want to be and also having tons of room for the kinds of adventures that occur in D&D, like ancient ruins, you know, building a school that sits on top of a chasm filled with ancient ruins. Great, right? Perfect. Lots of options there. Lots of ways that that it can go. Order and chaos. Two deans carry the table. Dean of order, dean of chaos. Cool, cool stuff. And then we got faculty. Looks like NPCs, right? That's pretty cool. Some of the stat blocks that I'm particularly interested are these, like you know, these NPC stats that I think can fill in for a lot of different new spellcasters that will give us an idea of the kinds of spellcasters we're going to see in Monsters of the Multiverse. Again, I'm one of the things I'm really interested in. This is this as a preview to what is going to be in Monsters of the Multiverse. More NPCs. Ah, look, there's a whole Lorehold Campus uh, Campus map, right? Lots of cool maps. Lots of different maps. I noticed this when I was flipping through. Different maps by different artists and of, of different, very different styles. I think that's kind of interesting. Prismerize Scholars, right? 
are those people examples of scholars you may use the table to randomly determine the scholarly focus of a prismary student that's cool a lot of details on what it's like to be a student here that's why i think like this is a pretty meaty book prismary college offers breathtaking views to inspire its artists right is prismary did i skip i skipped prismary stuff right elemental arts Practice art in intertwined with magic. Mage students of Prismarai wield magic and spectacles of creativity, masters, masterpieces of showy, over-the-top magic. They use elemental magic to express who they are. That's cool. The faculty. I want to know about their place, right? There's more faculty. The campus looks cool. Quantrix School of College of Necromancy, a term that encompasses the study of patterns, fractals, and symmetries to wield power of the fundamental mathematics of nature. Oh, neuromancy. I was like, that's not necromancy. Numeromancy. Numeromancy. Math magic. Quantrix made They're quants, right? <laughs> they all get jobs at the financial sector when they're done and get to figure out how to harvest money before the economy falls apart. Neat stuff there. I guess the interesting thing about this school is like what magic falls here, right? Like... There's not a lot of spells in the book that kind of are based on mathematics. It, it, it's kind of interesting. Like, how do you take the standard spells that exist in fifth edition and sort of wrap it around this style of magic? That's a question I've got. Maybe there's a way. The Quandrix. It looks very chaotic for a group made by math. <laughs> Enlarge, reduce is now integral derivative. Nice. <laughs> Silver Quill, Eloquence, and its mages, stylus, intimidating, and driven are masters of the magic of words. See, like this case, you like bards. Like this fits, lots of spells fit this, right? But what about math? I don't know, the math stuff? Weird. This is pretty. I bet these guys are real snobs. And Witherbloom draws the opposing force of life and death. Mages brew their spells from natural components of the essence of living creatures, use it to heal and harm. That's kind of interesting because one of the things is like clerics that cast Toll the Dead all the time, right? Life clerics casting Toll the Dead always freaks me out. It's like, but this one, it makes perfect sense why they would. Cool stuff there. Beautiful, beautiful sight. And with, yeah, really cool. Oh, look at this. Valentine. Dean, I have a, I have a vampire named Valentine. How interesting. I wonder if I did one of them, probably random, but I have a vampire. We wrote a vampire in Fantastic Lairs named Valentine. Dean Valentine, an ancient and drinks the blood of living creatures throughout the bayou. Valentine is kind as a, a sanguine sangromancer. Receives vision from the blood he consumes. That's cool. He eats students. No, he probably doesn't. He's kind of an interesting, sinister guy. Cool stuff with the Bloom Campus. Again, really, I love that art style, right? That art style is really unique and cool. So those are the universities. So let's jump back to the top and let's go to the character options. So this has everybody excited. I went, you know, I'm a DM, right? I'm not an always, I'm not a forever DM as they say these days. I do play, but I'm far more interested in how things go for DMs than I am for players. Like it's, I mean, not, I don't, I, players are important, but there's lots of people looking at player stuff. So I'm not really going to dive too deep into this, into the, you know, into like, I don't know, looking at all kinds of things. Race options, the Owlin. So I guess they're starting right off with the Owlin, right? The Owlin is a race for player characters in Strixhaven. Uh, ability scores, you choose... Increase one by two, another one by one. Quick build, give some ideas about which scores to increase. Languages, blah, 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 blah. Alan, owl people. 
Creature type humanoid, dark vision 123. Everybody always freaks out about dark vision. It's not as good as you think. I wrote, I did a video about it not being as good as you think. Then there's choosing a college, a Strixhaven party. If you're starting a Strixhaven campaign with an introductory adventure, that adventure gives all the advice you need to bring a party of characters together. The adventure assumes the characters are first year students participating. See, that's so this is this idea of like an opinionated adventure, right? An adventure that has an expected start. And instead of saying like, oh, you can bring any character here and then do this adventure, which doesn't, I don't think work particularly well. It sounds like this one's got that sort of opinionated style, that that focused style right up front that tells you what kind of characters you're going to want to make to play in this adventure. And you're going to be magical students, right? You're not going to be just Joe wandering dude who ends up here, which I think is good, right? I think that's an important consideration for an adventure. It's one of the things about like Adventures League that gets weird, right? Which is like, in Adventures League, like your characters kind of go, go all over the place. It's why they did those limitations of like, oh, we're going to put seasonal adventures and your character is built around that season. And I get it. And But it's like sometimes your character shows up in weird places and it's like, oh, where are we? I'm 900 miles to the north and a totally different kind of adventure. In this case, like, you know, you're building a student and you're going to play through this thing. So I think that's really good. It looks like, you know, they talk about it here and I, it looks like they talk about it in the adventure itself. You met, and if you start the campaign at higher level using one of the adventures later in the chapters, give some thought to how your characters got together a group, right? So you can try to make this, or you can try to jump into this later, but like, oh, you know, you better have a good reason. You're going to have to spend, do some work. Also, you're just meeting for the first time. But this is so, like, this kind of adventure really lends itself to just getting people together around a central theme, just like Harry Potter, right? Like, all oh, the students are meeting together, right? Works really well. Strixhaven backgrounds. My understanding is that the Strixhaven backgrounds are very different than typical backgrounds. And people have said, like, this is why you wouldn't want to just include Strixhaven backgrounds in with all of your other backgrounds, because they are so specific and they do some strange things. So let's take a look. Five backgrounds you can choose to reflect your character studies. Preparing to enter one of the colleges aren't limited to these backgrounds. They're just one way you can do it. If you do choose one of these, you can assume that your life at this point has been consumed by the education. It's made it enrolling in Strixhaven possible for you. And you might not have much experience in the world beyond that preparatory work. So I guess like from age one, all right, you excel as a student. Lorehold student. Because don't they, I think they get like a spell, right? Yeah, they have this like, you know, Lorehold initiate. You gain the Strixhaven initiate feat. You get a feat right off and must choose Lorehold. In addition, when you have the spell casting or pack magic feature, the spells in the Lorehold spells table are added to the spell list of your class. So picking a school or a university that you follow or college that you follow gives you not only spells, but also access to spells that you might like. Imagine getting spirit guardians as a bard, right? Like that's pretty, or flame strike. Like that's a big deal, getting access to those. I like this. Consider customizing how your spells look when you cast them. That's good advice, period. You should always do that, right? Players, do that. Customize your spells. Describe how your spells look. Get into your character. Doesn't have to just be here. What else? So do they start with a spell? I guess we'll have to see this Lorehold Initiate. You gain the Strixhaven Initiate field. Let's jump to that. Why did it jump? Did it go to the right place? Strixhaven Initiative. You have studied some magic theory and learned a few spells to study. Choose one of the Strixhaven Colleges. Two cantrips and one first-level spell. Right? So this is a feat that gives you two cantrips and a first-level spell. And you can cast the spell. You can choose the chosen first-level spell with that spell slot. Finish a long rest before you cast again. So you get like a free spell slot just for that spell with that feat. 
So that way you can get it. But if what we saw, I jumped ahead. It looks like as your background, you get that feet, right? You get this stuff, plus you get this, you know, initiate feet and must choose your school. And then you get a spell and two cantrips plus access to these others. That is a meaty background, right? That's not, you haven't even picked a class yet. And you haven't picked a subclass yet. That's pretty meaty. So pretty cool. I mean, pretty cool, but like, you're not going to want to bring this into your other games, I don't think. Maybe you bring it in, like if you have a style of campaign that fits this sort of thing, obviously you might bring that in, but it looks like it's really specific for this world, which again is cool. So that's kind of another thing to consider. Like if you're going to run, if you're going to run this adventure, then what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. I got distracted. I don't know. It's really interesting. Oh yeah, now I remember what I was going to say. So I was talking, I've talked on the talk show before, like where is it time to put limitations into what source material we allowed in our game? And I think the answer is yes, right? Like we should limit the source material we allow in any given campaign and it should be built around that campaign. So in this case, it seems very reasonable to say you can play with the following source books, right? You can play with the player's handbook. You can play with Xanathar's guide. You can play with uh, Tasha's guy, you know, Tasha's Cauldron of any, Everything, and you can play with the Strixhaven book. Those are the four books that are allowed. And then because of the metro, or the cosmopolitan nature, you could say, but you can play races from anywhere, right? And if you want to play third-party races, bring them up, and we'll take a look at them, make sure there isn't anything weird. And if they're not weird, you can bring them in, because crazy races is what this place is all about. So I think that you know this book really lends itself to that idea that you're going to want to select what you bring in and what you don't bring in. And then you assume like you're going to be using heavy use of this, you know, you're going to make heavy use of this book as a character book. And like, you're going to want to pick one of these backgrounds, right? Like these backgrounds are, are pretty critical. Hey, they don't get fireball. That's interesting. They get a lot of all the, look at all that fire stuff, flame sphere, wall of fire, heavy abjuration, right? But no fireball. Because fireballs broken i like fireball but it's broken it's very powerful not broken it's very powerful quandrix guiding bolt hey look enlarge reduce is uh in fact one of their spells vortex warp uh aura vitality haze control water freedom of movement circle circle of power wow so right like circle of power is a crazy powerful spell uh, Circle of Power being on the spell list for Twilight Clerics is one of the reasons I don't allow Twilight Clerics in my games. And it's because Circle of Power is originally a Paladin spell. And Paladins don't get it until much later in their... They don't get it till much later. They don't get access to fifth level spells till much later in their leveling. This one is a 30 foot range and moves with you. You get advantage on saving throws against spells and magical effects. That's really powerful. Additionally, when an affected creature succeeds on a saving throw against a spell that would make it saving throw take only half damage, takes no damage, gives everybody evasion. Really tough spell to get around, right? Really tough spell to challenge characters. And it makes sense when they're really high level. But man, given this one to ninth level characters instead of like 15th level characters or 14th or whatever it is for paladins, scary. You know, that's scary here. I don't think they should just be throwing circle of power around like they are and like they have been recently. They being wizards of the coast. Hey, there's a circle of power that's totally negating uh, a dragon. Consider customizing how your spells look. I don't think why you have to say that every time, but just say it, right? I guess beating into people, but that should be, a, that should be in the player's handbook, right? It probably maybe is in the player's handbook. 
So that's cool. Quantrix, again, Silver Quill initiates. Let's see. Silver Quill gets, yep, all sorts of compulsion and confusion to dominate. All the troubling spells. Dissident Whispers, Silvery Barb. Hey, look, Silvery Barbs. Wither Bloom, Cure Wounds, Inflict Wounds, Lesser Restoration, Wither and Bloom. That's interesting. Revivify Vampire Touch. These are all cool because they're all like opposites of each other, right? Death Ward and Blight, Anti-Life Shell, and Greater Restoration. Those are kind of neat. You really are the, like the, you know, the path of life and death here. It's really interesting. Feats. So I think the feats are just those, right? I don't think there's a lot of feats. Strixhaven initiate initiate yeah that's just that one a strixhaven mascot you have learned how to summon the mascot to assist you you get find familiar for these different things when you take an attack shen, you can forgo one attack to allow your mascot familiar to make one attack of its own with its own reaction interesting and then but the, the mascot still if you cast find familiar it already gets an action on its own so that means it can take two do i have that right spells nothing to see here Silvery barbs. Lots of talk about silvery barbs. Borrowed knowledge. I don't know any of them except silvery barbs. It's the only one I've, I took a look at. Borrowed knowledge. Drawing knowledge from spirits. Choose one skill in which you lack proficiency for the spell's duration. You gain proficiency. Well, that's pretty cool. For an hour. Non-concentration. Right? I don't think that's concentration. That's cool. Kinetic jaunt. You empower your movement with dance-like steps, giving yourself following benefits. Your walking speed increases by 10. You don't provoke opportunity attacks. You can not You can move through the space of another creature. So it's like Misty Step, it looks like. Bonus action to cast, okay. It's kind of almost exactly like Misty Step. Is it Misty Step second level? Concentration up to a minute. Further duration you can do this. So it's like Misty Step that you cast all the time. Is it better than Misty Step? Looks like it could be because it's bonus action. Right? I don't know. It looks it looks very similar to Misty Step, but it looks like a better Misty Step. Somebody tell me why this is not a better Misty Step. What is this what is this doing that makes it weaker than Misty Step? When Misty Step is also a second level spell, I think, right? But this one I can do over and over again. It's not misty enough, says Dean Chromie. Silvery Barbs. This is the one that's got the internet is in an uproar about Silvery Barbs. One reaction. And so the one argument that this isn't as powerful and as broken as people think is that unlike shield lasts for an entire round where this is one check. So if a guy hits you three times, this only affects one attack right? It, you can't do it all the time. It's more that it can force an additional save. I think the, it's not so much that this is like shield. It's that, first of all, it's a reaction, right? But it's that it, the arguments that I heard that make it pretty powerful are that like you can cast a fifth level spell on somebody. They, f they make their save and then basically cast that fifth level spell again as a reaction by casting this spell for a first level slot. That's questionable now the thing is that i think about if you're planning to run a strixhaven campaign if i was going to run a strixhaven haven campaign i wouldn't care and i would just go ahead and put these spells in right i would say strixhaven stuff is allowed what i'd be careful of is saying i'm going to take strixhaven stuff and make it available to all of my games i probably won't right i probably these spells are not spells that i'm going to allow in my non-strixhaven games probably 
right? And instead, I would say, if you're playing Strixhaven, you get Strixhaven spells. You're not playing Strixhaven, you're not play, you don't get, you know, same with the feats and same with those uh, the backgrounds, right? It, those backgrounds are really good backgrounds. I think I would use them in a Strixhaven campaign. I don't, I think I probably would not use them in a non-Strixhaven campaign. Same way with the, the stuff from Ravnica, same way with the stuff from Theros, right? I'm not going to use that stuff in my games unless I'm running campaigns that are based on Ravnica and Theros. We just hit that point where there's so many books. You just the assumption that you can play with everything, I don't think makes sense, right? I think that's the same with the case for the. I guess not quite right. I think that's the same with Adventures. Like Adventures League isn't going to allow this stuff, right? Vortex Warp, second level. You magically choose the space of a creature, another creature you can see that succeed in a con save. Teleport on occupied space of your choice that you can see within range must be on a surface, so you can force a teleportation on somebody. Either a good person or a bad person. 90 foot range. So you twist the space of another within range. So you can put somebody 180 feet away, right? That's a pretty big distance to move somebody. That's kind of interesting. And it's a second level conjuration spell. It does take an action, but that's a big area. Interesting. Wither and Bloom, you invoke death, both death and life upon a 10-foot radius. Each creature of your choice must make a con save, take 2d6 necrotic damage. Each creature of your choice, uh, 2d6 necrotic damage. In addition, one creature of your choice in the area can spend and roll one of its unspent hit dice and regain a number of hit points equal to the roll. It is a single use. It's instantaneous, so it's a blast. It's not very good, is it? Second level, 2d6 necrotic. I guess that's okay. Yeah. For kinetic giant, you need to move so you can't teleport over a chasm or through a portcullis like Misty Step. Ah, okay, good, yes. Good good call, Scipio, you're on it. That makes sense. That, that It's still movement, and it's still normal movement. You can't j Misty Step through a tiny hole in a keyhole. Or Yeah, right, okay. That makes sense. And it's things like that. It's things like, you know, when we look at, when we look at silvery barbs, like you, you really got to pay attention to stuff that like, thinking of silvery barbs as a better shield it's not really because shield lasts for a whole round or this only rest only happens once it's things like that that you have to consider magic items so looks like a bunch of magic items costs that's a lot of common magic items presents magic items that are created a strict saving these items along with a few in the dungeon master's guide can be purchased on campus using the prices in the magic item for sale table you can buy yourself a plus one weapon for 300 gold interesting right uh you can get these primers i don't know what those are spell scrolls 50 gold right i always worry about that because like, i'm gonna get 3,000. you know i'm gonna get 3,000 copies of shield a bottle of boundless coffee. Somebody I was talking to said that the, the coffee one was the only interesting one, right? But I don't know what you're expecting. Like most of these are common magic items. You always have coffee. I could use that. I have a Keurig that does that. Representing one of the mascots of Strixhaven, tiny toy can be used to fight off fear. When you make a saving throw, you can give yourself advantage on the roll of the toy. You must decide to doing so. If it succeeds, you can't use the toy this way until you finish a long rest. That's kind of cool. Common item. Fear is so weird because it's like they, they put these giant fear blocks on monsters and then a million ways to get out of fear. Magical textbooks, right? So these primers, I, I imagine these are all the same kind of thing. Primers, three charges, regains 1d3 expended charges at dawn. You make an intelligence, history, religion while you primer. You can expend a charge to give yourself a d4 bonus to the check immediately after you roll the d20, which stacks with guidance. 
In addition to the study of the primary, you can choose one first level spell from the cleric or wizard spell list. Before you finish your next long rest, you can cast the chosen spell once without a spell slot if you're holding the primer. Spellcasting ability is intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Interesting. Another way to get shield. Uh, and what do those cost? These primers cost 300 gold, so they're not cheap. That's interesting. Lorehold, Prismari. I think they all do the same thing. Yeah, they're all, they just go to different skill checks, right? They give you, oh, yeah, so it stacks with guidance, but the book only gives it to you for two, and you're probably not going to have six books in your bag. So that's interesting. Strixhaven Pennant, common item. Wait, we have the Pennant. Glitters, yay, 10-foot radius, Witherbloom Primer. Yeah, okay, cool. So those are the class, uh, the character options. School is in session. Following four chapters present a series of Dungeons and Dragons adventures optimized for four to six characters. I believe they start at first level. Each adventure takes place on and around the Strixhaven campus. In these adventures, players' characters are students attending the university. They become heroes in their own right as they navigate plots, overcome monsters, and thwart dangers. Very cool. So this is, I mean, spoilers, right? This is going to be, we're going to be spoiling stuff. I don't know, you know, I don't know how far we're going to get into this, but we may be spoiling some stuff. If you are going to play in these adventures, you probably want to stop watching now because we're getting into the DM stuff. I don't think i think my wife is going to be i think these are available and baldman games is running these next week or something like that and i think she's going to be playing in one of these so she might dig it great art how to run an adventure uh if you run these adventures a campaign one villain is behind the campus oh a disgruntled former student who attended centuries ago mcgraxel uses evil magic to sustain his life force focus on all consuming so you got a nice villain right up front. All right, let's take a look at that villain stat block. Ooh, look at him. He's like a frog man. Ah, frog person with his, with his big rainbow lips. McGrexar. He's a CR9, Blood Aegis. The AC of McGrexar includes his con modifier while he isn't wearing armor or shield. Totally not Voldemort. That doesn't look like Voldemort. McGrexar is a frog man. Where are his spells? I guess he doesn't have spells because AC includes Auric Mask. While wearing the mask, McGraxar can't be targeted by divination magic or perceived through magical sensors. Very cool. While when he's not blinded, he can see any creature that isn't undead or construct within 60 feet, even through total cover, heavily obscured areas, uh, invisibility. So he can see invis. Okay, that's interesting. Any interesting things? We got to do the monster knows what they're doing and look at the stats and say what it means. He's very intelligent, not very wise. Pretty constitutionally, right? Interesting. Bloodlash, plus nine to hit. 21 necrotic damage. It is 42 points of damage around if he does. That's pretty powerful. One thing, oh, so he only does reach 10 feet. He's gonna be right on top of you. He's got no ranged attack. One of the things I saw with some other monsters is lots of abilities that have both melee and ranged versions. I'm surprised this doesn't, right? That's a 10 foot reach. I mean, he's just a normal dude though, right? He's not a legendary. Blood Boil, chooses a point. A 20-foot radius sphere centered on that point that fills with blood. Uh, 17 con, take 38 necrotic damage. Woo! And incapacitated until the end of your turn. On success, the creature takes half as much and isn't incapacitated. Woo, Blood Boil. Uh, he's a Bullywug. Okay, that's cool, right? Evil Bullywug. Oh, he's got lair. He's got lair actions, but he's not legendary. That's weird, right? You got some nice lore, like secrets, like these secrets and clues you could learn. And take one of the following lair actions. After he does, he can't use that lair action. Clay behemoth, a clay golem erupts on the floor. Earthen fist, necrotic boy. He's got a lot of these. He's got regional effects. Why doesn't he have legendary actions then? 
That's weird, isn't it? I would make him legendary. I'd give him, first of all, I'd give him a ranged attack. And second, I would make him legendary, give him legendary resistance so he doesn't get freaking banished in round one. Right? Weird. But I don't know. Like, I don't know how he appears in the adventure. So what am I? I'm talking out of my butt. I'm always talking about my butt. I really don't know what's going on. Character creation before, consult chapter two for guidance, character advancement, and these you receive experience points for achieving story milestones. Receive experience points rather than for defeating monsters. Each adventure tells you when the character is advanced to the next level. So you don't really gain experience points. I guess that's how they describe it, but you're not really gaining experience points. You're just leveling. Rather than playing the adventures, you can run them standalone. Uh, it looks like there's four of these things. Campus, Kerfuffle, Hunt for Mage Tower, the Magister's Masquerade, and the Reckoning in the Ruins. Those are kind of cool. Health is very low for a melee CR9. Let's take a look. Is it? I didn't really look. 127 hit points. So what's my... I forget what my benchmark says. Is it 15 per CR? Is it 10? I think it's something like that. I think it's like 15 per CR. So 150, a little bit less. I don't know. It's a little low, right? Or is it 20? I think it might be 20 per CR. I can't remember what I said. 15 per CR plus 15 or something like that. I don't remember exactly what the, the I, you know, you'd think I'd have that memorized by now. Apparently I don't. Interesting. The standalone adventures, cool relationship. If you run chapter four, five, or six of standalone, you should ask each player to choose at least one student to be a friend, a beloved, or a rival as described in the relationship rules. That's cool. Relationship points. Do you really need rules for this kind of thing? These are always the things where I'm like, you know, do we need another system for relationships? Why not just know what the relationships are like? If the DM is running the friends, beloveds, or rivals, run them organically, right? Like put yourself in their mind and think whether or not you're pissed off or whether or not you love them. I don't need a point system for that. I'm already starting. Book contains a number of interior maps accompanied by a poster map, all of which are laid out. The poster map might be cool. Interior maps, poster map, passage of time. You can track it. Tracking sheet, right? So this is like, pfft, report cards are fun, right? And I guess this, like, the relationship status, or who tracks this? Gives special rules for certain players can use the sheet to keep track of the effects of the rules of the characters. Each player should have a copy. So I guess the relationship thing, like the players are keeping track of them. But isn't that weird? Like, imagine you were in school and you were, like, tracking their relationship points. That's terrible. Like, nobody would want to do that. Like, what kind of dick would you be if you were tracking? Like, oh, I'm a level five with my friend Ben now. I'm only level three with my friend Matt. So relationships, a student with NPC, which is a relationship, the player should track how many relationship points their character has with each NPC, whether the NPC is a friend, rival, or beloved, and whether, I don't know, that seems weird. You know, that, that seems strange to me. Erdes says, you don't track relationship points? No, I do keep track of which friends I talk to every day. I like to know who I'm staying in touch with and who I've lost touch with. And then I look at my list and go, I haven't talked in a while. And then I call them up, right? So I do that, but I don't track points. That's weird. Extracurriculars, jobs, student dice. Opting out of these rules. Hey, the rules for extracurricular jobs, exams, and relationships combined with the adventure to make to enhance the flavor of university life. If you don't find these rules the best fit, you can run this book's adventures without those rules, simply narrating the... Yeah, I like this better. Like, do that. <laughs> I mean, it's up to you. Who am I? Who am I to talk about this? But I don't need the system for that. Like, I, you know, I think for like getting grades in school, report cards, I think that's cool. Right? That makes sense. We have grades in real life, but this relationship point is weird. 
extracurriculars, student dice, relationship point. There it is. Quitting an extracurricular options. Dead language society is pretty funny. Distinguished society for fine arts. These are like mini backgrounds, right? Strange. Does Strixhaven have a D&D club? That's very interesting. If Sly doesn't read my comment, he loses a point. Yeah, I choose to lose that point. What are these? Joining at any point in the book's adventures, a character can gain the benefit of two extracurriculars noted below as described in this way. A student character also works on campus. The character can benefit from only one. Gain the benefit. It's like another background, right? Isn't this like another background? Campus clubs decided to keep part of the student life. Using the rules of fall, characters can join extracurriculars to add flavor to the book's adventures. Do you, is it, are you limited by when you can join them? I don't know. That's interesting. But then it's like another background, right? Hey, look, what and are the skills? Each character gains one student die for each extracurricular they piss with. The student die is a D4, can roll and add to an ability check that the character makes, provided the check is one of the skills listed. So isn't that what that book does too? The player can wait until after rolling the D20 before the student die, but must do so before interesting relationship. Okay, so you don't gain a skill, but you can add a D4. Interesting. And then there's a bunch of them. It's kind of curious, but then they have a magic item that was a book that also let you do that. So you get another D4 and then you get guidance on top of that. So you get another D4. You're going to be rolling a ton of D4s. I hate D4s. D4s, worst die. The D4 is the worst die. It's You can't pick it up. It's always at the bottom of your bag. Like, go look at your bag right now. Go get your bag of dice. I guarantee you the D4 is on the bottom of that bag. You step on them, you want to die, right? They only The range on them is really low. It's boring, right? I hate the D4. It's the worst die. That's my opinion. Hot take, D4s. Meh. You know the other die? The D12. Because when you roll it, it rolls forever. It never stops. Roll a D12 and watch how long it rolls. It's something about this geometry. It just keeps going and going. It rolls right off the table every time. Terrible. That's the second worst die. I'm ranking the dies, and those two are really bad. I think I like the D10. I think the D10 is my favorite die. You can get a job and more freaking relationship points. What do you get with jobs? You get money? What do you get? Student gets five five gold at the beginning. Interesting. A lot of options for, there's a lot of cool feeling for downtime, right? A lot of, lot of neat ways to do downtime, which I kind of like. Exams, you can do exams. Pulling an all-nighter. That's kind of fun. Right, this kind of stuff is important because it's, you want it to look like school, right? So that's kind of neat. Oh, here we go with the relationships. Opportunity to cement friendships with staff rivalries deep in bonds. Yes, that's all true. The rules provide characters benefits or drawbacks based on their session zero. If you're interested in using these rules, consider holding a session zero to introduce the rules to the players. Using these rules. I, I mean, I guess like, you know, bashing the relationship side of it. But when you're thinking about a game that's built on a campaign that's built around the idea that you're in universe, you're at university and you're kind of learning it. Well, it's adding that game of like, you know, the social game to this. It's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of video games that do this, right? These like relationship video games where you're like trying to build up relationships with people and, and you have to like choose who you're going to go with and all this sort of stuff. So I guess if you want that in your game, go with the gods, right? Who am I, who am I to talk about it? But it feels weird. You know, neat. I don't know. Great art. Uh, no, notice like the arches, right? You always see these arches in here. That's part of that chapter one. You know, they really had stuff. Beloveds, inspiration, fellow students, step blocks. So here's a bunch of NPCs, right? That's cool. She's cool looking. Elephant man. Look, she's got a lot of piercings. Elephant man has a lot of piercings. 
No piercings. He's got a feather. The learned Minotaur. That's pretty cool. Oh, I don't like that guy. I already don't like him. She's ready to wrestle. She's got a wrestling gear on. Owl folk. Cool stuff. A lot of fun NPCs you can grab, and I like the artwork for the NPCs. That's great. These are these would be great. Look at this. Are those tongues. Has he got two forked tongues? What's up with him? What is he? He's an orc. Oh, those are tusks. Very cool. Fire Genasi. Very neat. So that's cool. Bunch of NPCs you could grab and take, right? I like that. I like that a lot. Campers Kerfuffle is the first adventure. We're probably not going to run through the adventures too much. I think, you know what? We may skip, I think, for the sake of time, because we're already at an hour. I'm probably not going to dig into the adventures, because you, you kind of want to look through, A, spoilers, and B, that's probably worth another look. Maybe if I get around to it, we'll do another look where we just look at the adventures. So let's instead, and there's four such adventures, right? School in Session, Hunt for the Mage Tower, no, Campus Kerfuffle, right? Reckoning in the Ruins. But let's look at Friends and Foes, right? Let's look at Monsters here, because we love some monsters. Look at that cool art. Is that a... They're battling a Mage Hunter. Ooh, Mage Hunters. Let's see. Provide 40 monsters. 40 monsters. Wow. They appear in this book of adventures. You're free to use them in adventures of your own creation. Whether uh, yeah. I don't see anything about the spells. Hey, by the way, we're not including all the spells that these guys can cast. Right? Big wide range of CRs, right? All the way from low to high CRs. Pretty big. Ugh. Let's see. Companion Monster Manual, if you're unfamiliar, blah, 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 blah. Unusual attacks. Herein you'll find weapons that deal unusual damage types and spell casting that functions in atypical ways. Such an exception is a special feature of a stat block that represents how this creature would do it. It is an exception, i.e. specific Trump's general stat block has a creature's name. But again, nothing about spells. Right? Nothing about... By the way, these guys cast more spells. Archaics. Those are those big dudes. Typically neutral. 245 CR18s. Big, powerful spell things. I like to spell mimicry. I was looking at this. A creature archaics can see cast a spell fifth level or lower. The creature must succeed on a DC 22 charisma or the archaic immediately casts the same spell at the same level. There's a way to get a get one casting all the time art elemental mascots challenge rating one for death burst uh joyful flare mel melancholic bolt that looks fun belladross witherbloom so this is my oh, look that art is awesome right look at that that dude's awesome but here's you know this is uh, yeah, hey, book, the book said, the book gave me permission to use these in my own adventures, which means I get to complain about them if I was going to bring them into my own adventures. And one of them is like, he, you know, you're going to have a spellcasting dragon. Give it more spells. Give it spells that matter now. Don't give it speak with dead, right, in a stat block. Like, I'll just have it cast that. I don't need it to be in the stat block. Why is speak with dead and revivify in the stat block? That doesn't make any sense. But here's what drives me bananas. And I was going to talk about this on the talk show on Sunday, but I'll talk about it here. Claw, right? Belladross, right? Huge, gargantuan dragon. Gargantuan, right? CR 24. Really high challenge ratings, right? Big 444 hit points, AC 22. Like, look at these stats, right? Crazy powerful monster. Makes one bite attack and two claw attacks. Okay, bite. 14 piercing plus six necrotic. I'm like, six necrotic? Why not? 
I, I could see this being 4d12 necrotic, right? What would that be? 20, that's 13, 26 points. Give it 26 points of necrotic damage on that bite. Go ahead, it'll be fine. Your characters will be fine. But that 26 necrotic on a bite, right? 4d, that's 4d12, right? 13, 26, yeah. 4d12 necrotic would be awesome on this. Not six, six. Come on, this guy, you know... And then this drives me bananas, right? Plus 16 to hit for a claw attack for 12 slashing, 1d6 plus nine. Like I always used to think that the dice that you saw here, and I think this is true if you look at the monster manual, the number of dice is based on the size of the creature in many circumstances. If you look at ogres and giants, the number of dice they're using is based on their physical size, right? It's 1d6 when they're medium, it's 2d6 when they're large, it's three or 4d6 when they're huge, right? And I think if you look at monsters, you'll see that progression. And this guy's gargantuan. This should be like 66 plus nine, right? 7, 14, 21 plus nine. That'd be 30 points of damage on a claw attack, right? Now we're talking 12 for the CR24 dragon. And I get it. Like some, you know, I argued about this in Discord and somebody went through and did all the math and said, no, it's about right. I'm sure it's about right. But it feels weak, right? 12 damage on a claw attack at CR24 feels weak. Think about what characters have available. If they were going to fight this thing, CR, you know, level 16, 17 characters, right? Think about how easily they can deal with 12 points of damage. Now I know it's like, well, it's two of these plus three more, right? So it's five claw attacks. That damage output is still low. Yeah, DM Chromie says, somebody should silvery barb that creature, right? And then you get Miasma Flow, becomes a swirling cloud of green. Look how long this stat block is, right? This description, right? Cloud of green mist can move a half, half her speed without provoking opportunity attacks. During it, moves difficult terrain, blah, 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 blah. She can move through others and poison them on the way. Okay, that's cool. But it's, a, it's an action to do it. You know, that should be a bonus action. This is a bonus action move here, not an action. Make that a bonus action. And then she could do it for two actions. That's so many legendary actions spent on this. That should be one legendary action, right? I guess two because you don't want her doing it all the time. But I would still make it a bonus action on her turn, so she could do it a lot more often. And then she can summon pest mascots. Okay, great. Oh, that guy's cool. Fungus man. Brackish trudge. CR3, right? Hey, look! Hits for more than uh, the other one. The large plant creature hits for more than the claw attack of the dragon, the CR24 dragon. Man, damage means something. I like this guy. Look, he's got wheels. Cogwork archivist. Kind of neat. What was that thing? Demagoth. I've heard about these. Somebody, somebody mentioned this in chat, right? The Demagoths. Demagoth. Huge fiend. CR 16. Challenge rating 10. 157 hit points. Right? Pact of pain. 10-minute ritual can forge a magical bond with a willing creature. Creature becomes bound by the pact. Demagoth chooses one spell of necromancy in school of third level or lower. So any spell. Bound creature can cast that spell using this pact. Requiring no material component and using the intelligence as a spellcasting weapon. When it casts, the creature takes seven psychic damage, which can't break the concentration on the spell. Once the bound creature casts a spell in this way, it can't do it. That's interesting. So it can, a demagoth can pact, can offer fear, tear liquors, owing their fiend's tendency to lurk near battlefields. Creatures of forbidden knowledge, fueled by the consumption. Alien looking. That was a cool. Three agonizing burst attacks. So this is interesting. I've seen a lot of monsters that do this. Melee or ranged spell attack. Plus nine to hit, reach 10 feet, or range 120 feet. 
So they can, you know, hit with this close or far, right? It doesn't matter. They're not going to be a disadvantage if they are, if they're, if somebody's next to them. 11 points of force damage. If the target is a creature that negates, regains five. Think about that. It does three of these. It regains 15 hit points when it does this. And 11, 22, 33 at CR 10. That feels a little low, right? How much? So I'm thinking 70. It should do 70 points of damage. If It, it can use Terrify if available in place of one of the attacks. 33 psychic damage. It gets this back every other round, roughly, right? And it can use this instead of one of the attacks. And that does 33 damage, psychic damage, or frightened. And half on a success. That's where it does a lot. So let's just say, how is this an interesting monster? This Pact of Pain is interesting because it can sort of give other creatures the ability to cast necromatic spells. That's interesting. And I think the Terrify is interesting, you know? So I don't know. Like, it depends on what you're looking for when you say interesting. Demogoth Titan is a big version of this. Gargantuan Fiend, 203, CR 16. Okay. Two agonizing burst attacks, same kind of agonizing burst, but does more. Plus 12 for 17. Regains five. Legendary, and it's legendary. Does it have legendary resistance? It does. Legendary actions. So it makes two of these, and it can do, so 17 times five is the amount of damage this guy does. That's a lot. Uh, teleport after which you can target a creature, DC 20, failed save 22, necrotic, or regain 10. That's interesting. Terrorize. Is that the same one as this one? It has terrify and terrorize. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Barbed gifts. When a supplicant picks a demigod's titan's interest, titan can grant a blessing to the supplicant. Supernatural gifts, as long as that's cool. So now we have our students, right? And these are like pretty reusable stat blocks, I think. You could use them for lots of different sort of spellcastery types. So I'm always kind of curious about this. CR one half, 33 hit points, 11. Can do magic flare, which again, melee or range, five to 60 feet, right? So that way it's local or not. That's kind of interesting. Seven points of damage. And can cast Mage Hand, Prestidigitation, Detect Magic, and has Beginner's Luck. When it fails a saving throw, can reroll and use a new one. Okay. Mascots. Another dragon. We're not going to dig through every one of these dragons, but it suffice to say, oh, look, 11 damage on the claw attack. Man, boring. More damage, man. Like, I'm not... I don't need, like, I, I, I feel like, and I feel like this is one where third-party producers are, if you want complicated, beefy monsters that, are, that hit hard and do lots and lots of different things, that, are, that, that have a lot of chewy bits, if you really want monsters that are big and powerful and nasty and do lots of things, check out the Total Party Kill Bestiaries by 2C Gaming. They have the Total Party Kill Bestiaries and they have the Epic Level. There's another monster book that they have. And those guys, they're big and they do a lot. They've play tested them. They're really cool. Very well done. If you want monsters like that, chew on those. I don't mind simplified monster stat blocks because I'm lazy and I'm tired and I'm busy and I just want to run a dragon that kicks ass, right? I don't have a lot of time to have a lot of different things that it does. And I liked what I heard Wizards of the Coast saying when they talked about the new design of monsters, trying to say, like, we want them to be able to more easily match up to their challenge rating. Okay. So I don't mind that they're simple, although the spellcasting thing is weird. Like, I would expect some other option for spellcasting with these. It just doesn't make any sense. But 11 damage for a CR 23 dragon for a claw attack. Like, that's not scaring anybody, right? And it looks bad. It looks weird. I don't know why. Groff looks like a big bear. I'm not going to 
go through every single one of these monsters. Lorehold students, right? So then you get the students. I like this. I think they have students for all of them. That, you know, Lorehold, Apprentice, Scroll Bash. I like that it has a scroll and he bashes people with it. And it does thunder damage. That's kind of cool. Pledge Mages. So again, like these are, you know, you want, I think these are great. Like if you want a lot of different spellcasters in the new style, like let's presume that you are okay with the new stuff. You're not, right? But if you're not, you've got all the old books because they all the old spellcasters and they're doing it the old way. So if you're good with the new spellcaster style, there's a lot of new spellcasters in here. And one thing I will say, having seen the stat blocks I've seen so far, I feel like they're low CR monsters, the, the zero to 10 CR monsters. I feel like those are about right. Like those, I don't think those are bad. And then what happens is the damage tails off from where it, it should scale up. It should curve upwards, right? And instead it's trailing. And, and they're just not dangerous at high challenge ratings, right? They're simple and I can run them, but they're just not challenging. But this like two spectral skull attacks, 15 force damage, that's cool, right? The other thing is like, if you read these stat blocks and you're like, that's not interesting, you get to make it interesting. You're the DM. You get to describe what it looks like. You get to describe how it interacts with the world. The stats are just stats, right? It's up to us to, to give these things life. Professor of the Order, CR6, right? Repelling Burst, plus seven. Let's see. Two Repelling Burst attacks. It can also use Force Barrier if available, right? That's cool. So it can use a Force Barrier plus Repelling Blast, plus seven, 13 damage. Eh, that's not bad. Arcane Stasis. Can lock the casting in the moment. Oh, I like this. This is counterspell, right? When a creature the professor can see within 60 feet casts a spell, the professor can magically lock the casting in a moment before completion. The spellcaster must succeed DC 15 saving throw or using the spellcasting ability or the spell fails and is wasted. That is, <laughs> oh, that's going to piss people off. But I like that. That's cool. Mage Hunter. Here's this one that we saw in the thing, right? 85 hit points. CR5. Okay. That's cool. Mage Tracker, I did read this one. Actions, two claw attacks, plus seven to hit, 15 slashing, that's cool. Tail, plus seven, but no, tail can only do once, but it can grapple and restrain. Can track a mage and not lose track. It, it, it marks them and then can track them for a while and make them invisible. Shift form folds into its drone-like sentry form. What's a drone-like sentry? Diamond-shaped drone with highlighted ability to sense and locate mages. Once it finds its quarry, it takes on, on a, it's arachnid hunter form. Interesting. We have the Oracle of Strixhaven. We already took a look at her. Auric. Is this a secret society of mages that wield forbidden magic? I love it. I love forbidden magic. Nar was in consideration for Oracle, but when the founder of Dragon passed him over, now he's mad. Infiltrating Strixhaven. So these are evil mages from outside. I love it. Auric Blood Mage, CR9, 127 hit points, CR16. Two blood lash attack. Then we see blood lash before plus nine for 21. If Sargon's creature cannot regain hit points, that's pretty cool. Blood boil. Let's see. Can make two. So they, this is a DC 17, 38. That's pretty cool. It's like a fire, blood fireball. I'm good with that. Blood Aegis includes consultation. I think we see this. Oh, this is uh, the same kind of stat block as our, our villain, right? He's sort of like this guy. Maybe not this powerful, but I like this one. Like the blood mage is cool. I gotta throw this in my Frost Maiden game. Auric Recruiters, lower level. Psychic Knives, right? 21 damage on a Psychic Knife attack. Two Psychic Knife attacks. CR4. Does that feel right to you? CR4, 42 points of damage? That's high, right? So why are they high on the damage here and then low on the damage on the other end? Let's be mean to your high level characters. Be nice to your low level characters. All right? But I like the, yeah, the Auric Blood Mages are cool. 
I like those dudes. Uh, Prismari Scholars, right? So now we got new students, right? Another set of students here. Kind of cool. Elemental Strikes. Yeah, they're very cool. Professor of Expression. CR7. Flame Leap. Lightning Flourish. Woo, I like things with flourish in the title. Three Cinder Strikes. 1326, 39 points of fire damage at CR7. That eh, feels about right. I think. Prismari Professor of Ex of Oh, Prismari Professor of Expression and then Perfection. Interesting. Title strike. Quandric Soldiers. So lots. I mean, that's one thing that I think this book has lots of, which is cool. Is like if you want a bunch of different CR spellcasters of different kinds, this book is packed with them. Right? Lots of stuff from that. I, and I do like that. I'm a fan of the new style. I know not everybody is. And we're all entitled to our opinions, but I'm good with them, right? And if I wasn't good with them, I'm like, well, it's okay because I got the old ones. Ruin Grinder punches things. Two excavator attacks. That's cool. Hey, another dragon. Uh, you think it's Claude? What's Claude attack going to do? Oh, 10. And then we have the silver quills, more mages. Like think of all these mages because there's about four stat blocks per school in five schools. That's 20 new mages just there right really cool professor of shadow like you want like a, your you know i guess they're a bard right two ink lance attacks you can use spell casting instead bane and mage armor and stuff ink lance plus seven for 17 points of necrotic if the target it must and blinded that's cool right i like that one cr 797 hit points like those are these are fun mages like the, i like these guys Strixhaven campus guide Really need a staff block for that in case you want to kick it around. Oh, another gargantuan dragon. How's the clock? Ooh, wow. 16. Look at this dude. Velikimus Lorlefold was the first dragon of Strixhaven to master the magic of order and chaos. I wonder how that magic will contact ever plays divination mover wall force. 13 on its claw attack. They just, you know, come on. Double the damage on this stuff. The breath weapon is not bad. 90 points of breath weapon damage. That's good. That's probably why, but like, go ahead and beef up that claw. Then we got our Witherbloom. You want sort of like weird necro dudes. I think this one, Briarvine, Druid, Necro Druids. These are probably better stat blocks for Druids than Druids are, right? And again, we got a bunch of these. So pretty cool. So I'll tell you, like that is a lot of stat blocks. There's a lot of, if you're looking for a pile of monster stat blocks, I probably wouldn't buy this just for the monster stat blocks. Why can't I... So jump to the top here. What did they say? How many in, in here? A lot, right? There's a lot of monsters in this book. So I don't know that I would buy the book just for the monsters. 40, 40 monsters in here, right? I don't know that I would buy the book just for the monsters alone, but it's pretty cool that it comes with them. And I think that while I'm, I'm poking at the dragons, I think that the other stat blocks from just my cursory quick look here, I dig them, right? And I think that having a lot of different spellcaster stat blocks, four different levels of CR, it looks like CR one, one half up to CR seven, that's pretty good. For a bunch of different kinds of schools of magic, that's pretty cool, right? And they're, and you know, they're going to, your players aren't going to know what the hell hit them, right? They're not going to be like, wait, what, what are these things, right? They're going to be, it's cool. It makes the world wide and interesting because they're fighting guys that have things that they don't have, which is really neat. It's a big change in D&D &D if you think about that. Like 
you know, for a long time, I think like like players were expecting that, like, why can this wizard cast this spell that it's doing, but I can never learn that spell, right? That's a big shift in fifth edition, right? Fourth edition did that. Fourth edition, like a lich in fourth edition had powers that a character could never have, but characters also had powers that nobody else could ever have. So that was different. But in fifth edition, it was like, well, it was based on it was based on spells. Like spellcasters were often based on having spells. And so now you have spellcaster monsters that have spells that players can never get, right? That's a little weird, right? That's a little weird. And it's a, I think it's a major change that I'm just now kind of getting into, getting clued into, right? And what does that mean? And we won't really know till we face them. I think it's really fun to have monsters that have spells that the characters don't know. But to have that all the time, that there isn't a, a wizard doesn't cast counterspell anymore. That's weird. The characters can cast counterspell. So like what is inside the spell book of an NPC mage, right? Because the things they're doing aren't casting spells. Strange. Like that's going to be a strange thing. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. It was a weird there was a weird shift that occurred for a while. It was like, and if you look in, you look in some other older books, you can see not older, but like recently in the last couple of years, you can see where they said like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start spelling out spells that monsters will use. And if you look at like, I'm pretty sure defense into Avernus, defense into Avernus, descent into Avernus had this. And I'm pretty sure that Candlekeep mysteries had this. They had spellcasters who had the spells listed in their stat block. That were the spells in the monster in the book. But now they made a choice, and you can read this in the design documents that are available in the DMs Guild that, that Wizards of the Coast put up there to help people build adventures. And in there, they specifically state that you, you give creatures spell-like abilities that are unique. Don't give them spells. We tried, they said, we tried that and it didn't work. It was two books. Like, how could, the, how could it not have worked? How do you know? Like, the, you know... I was fine with it. I mean, I don't, you know, it's, it's good for me. It's good for everybody. I don't know why people were bothered by like a stat block that had fireball in it. We still knew it was fireball, but now it's got to be like, you know, flame sphere, not flame sphere, but like, you know, roiling lava sphere, right? And it's fireball, but we call it something different and it, maybe it does some more different dice. So I think that was a weird decision to make. And I wonder how that's going to play out in our games. Like the idea that monsters and characters are very different now, that there is no such thing. The, a, a mage NPC is not at all like a wizard character. Does that, is that a break in our understanding of the rules of the game, right? Is that, does that break our immersion in the game? Because we're like, well, why am I different than they are, right? Like, why didn't we both, if I studied magic and they studied magic and we both reach a certain point, wouldn't we be casting kind of the same? No, they're doing bloodlash. Where the hell did they get bloodlash? And how come I don't get bloodlash, right? Can I buy their spell book? No, you can't get bloodlash. So that's weird, right? I think that's weird. Anyway, regardless, I think having all of these different kinds of spellcasters, I think could be really interesting. And I'm, I want to run them. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to throw some of these in my game and see if I can sneak them into the, the, the remaining half of my, of my rhyme of the Frostman game to see how they kind of play out. So I think that's really cool. So I think with that, we have looked through the, the one things we did not look through in this, in this preview is the adventures themselves, which I think take a bulk of it. I'm probably going to take some more time and look at those. You know, I'll go back and take a look at the adventures. The hard part of the adventures is like, I don't really feel 
you know, like I can offer an informed opinion about adventures until I've run them because of how I feel about them requires me running them. So probably other smarter people have described the adventure that's in there, but I, I'm glad I got a chance to take a look at the rest of it. I think this was a, an interesting run. So I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be back online to talk about, to do the Lazy Needy Talk Show. And we'll talk more about it. I will offer some lazy tools, some lazy tricks to make those dragons a little bit better. I have thoughts. I've already been thinking up some things. I have some lazy tricks you can just keep in your head to do that. How would you rate this versus Wild Beyond the Witchlight? I can't rate either of them because I have not run either of them. So I can't really say. This is not so much rating one over the other as it is just doing a spotlight and getting an impression. And I'm Kind of, kind of happy I did that. So I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Always appreciate it. If you watching, if you're watching this video and you dig it, you can help me out by subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You can support me directly on Patreon. You can subscribe to my videos on YouTube, or you can pick up any of my books. So thank you all very much for hanging out with me tonight, and we will see you next time. Take care and get out there and play some D and D.